Okay, I, I don't mind being one of the oldest guys in the room. I, I don't mind it. But when AJ says that I have helped to shape the church over generations, I'm just saying, I don't want to be insulted before I preach. You follow what I'm saying? I mean, I, I don't mind being old. Come on, Pastor Cog, help me. Help me. Where, where are the older? Where are the, anybody over 60 in here? Anybody? I love you. I love you. The rest of you, I'm here to warn you about what's coming. No, I'm just... No, I'm just messing around. Hey, let me say something real quick before I dive into the Word. Uh, having spoken in a lot of churches, watched a lot of churches, advised a lot of churches, I want to tell you something. That when a church has a Wednesday night service, and the people in that service perceive themselves as plowing the ground for Sunday morning, the church is changed, Right? You're here for you, you're here for Jesus, you're here to see each other, you're here to hear the word, great. But if you will think of what you're doing here on Wednesday night as breaking through so that things can happen on Sunday morning that might not otherwise happen, this church will be changed, all right? So there's a commission for you. Come, feed, I know you come in from work, I know you come in for some refreshing and drinking of the Spirit and worshiping and hearing the Word, but if we could just add one other commission to that, that we're here to break through, it'll change this church. Amen? All right. I'm thrilled that we are starting tonight a series that some other brothers are going to pick up in the coming weeks called Yet Still Greater. I love this church. I love its history. I love Bishop Fuller. I call him Brett behind the scenes. I'll call him Bishop tonight. He's my man. He's my buddy. He's my pastor. We've walked together for, gosh, I guess 20 years um, and just had, a, just had a ball. And I'm thrilled for what the guys are going to be talking about in the coming weeks. We're going to be talking about this church. What are the distinctives? What's God done? What are we going to carry into the future? I'm excited about that. And you're going to hear some awesome things. You're probably going to hear about racial reconciliation. You're probably going to hear about going to the needy. You're probably going to hear about taking a city. You're probably going to hear about the heroic and the prophetic and spiritual family and fivefold ministry. You're probably going to hear references to all of that. So I'm going to leave those topics to these other men who are men of God. One of them is Mark Cox sitting down here to the left, Donnell Jones, Jim Critcher. If he gets saved between now and the time that he preaches, it'll be great to hear the word from him. And so uh, that's, I'm excited about the whole series and looking forward to hearing it. I'm going to do something a little different tonight. I want to go to the core of who we are. In fact, the core of any church. And talk to you about that and then apply that to your individual life as well. And I think that'll set us up for this series. And in fact, all of the commemorating and celebrating that's going to go on in this month. So you can turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Revelation chapter 1. Wait for me there. I will, I will meet you there eventually. Okay? I will meet you there eventually, I promise. So let me set up for you this evening, if you'll do a little Bible study with me for a moment, I'm just going to refer to some scriptures and I'll meet you in Revelation 1. Let me set up for you this evening a progression that's important for us as believers when we come to the Word. In the Word, the Lord often establishes an object or an event that then later He changes into a symbol and that then becomes a source of spiritual revelation. He starts with an object or an event. you got to understand that. 
Then he goes and makes that a symbol, takes it from the historical moment into being a symbol, and then he turns it into a source of revelation. And that's what I'm going to track with you just briefly tonight before I start talking about who we are here in our family. Because I want to talk to you about the lampstand of Grace Covenant Church. The lampstand of Grace Covenant Church. Now just write these notes down quickly. I'm, I'm not going to go deep into the scriptures until we get to Revelation 1. But in Ezekiel, I'm sorry, Exodus 37, God is giving Moses uh, the revelation, the instructions for building the earthly tabernacle. And he tells them everything, every detail of every curtain and every altar and every laver and every tool and everything that's going to be in this earthly tabernacle. And you've, you've probably read all this. And so God is very specific. And one of the things that God tells Moses to have built is the lampstand. Now, the lampstand is important. It's going to sit in the uh, outer room of the tabernacle. It's going to be the only source of light. Let me tell you what that is. Would you put the lampstand, the image that I have for you, uh, up on the screen? Here's an image I found of this lampstand. And I won't read the whole, all the instructions uh, in the Bible, but God gives, gives him the instructions twice. But basically, it's a seven-branch lampstand, as you see here. Not a candlestick. These are not candles we're going to be talking about. But a seven-branch lampstand. And what you see here, and God was very specific, build a foundation, build a primary lamp up the middle, and then build uh, the arms that come out to the side. And you see those things on the arms, on the, the branches there that look like buds. Well, they are. They're meant to be almond buds. So this is meant to represent something that's living and bearing fruit. Okay. Those little things that curl off on the arms there, they're almond buds. They're meant to be, they're artistic representations of almond buds. buds. And then they come up to the top and you have these little or what, what are called bowls. And those bowls hold almond oil. That's what the Jews would have used in the lamp. And, in, and floating in those almond bowl, those bowls of almond oils, uh, oil are little wicks. And so this was a lamp. This was a seven-branch candlestick, I'm sorry, I should have said candle, seven-branch lamp with little wicks in the top, okay? And if you think that, hey, it'd be great to have one of those, you know, on my dining room table, uh, this thing was many feet tall and it weighed 75 pounds. Uh, in fact, it was the only article in the tabernacle that was made of pure gold. This is important. When these things kind of exceptions happen in the Bible, pay attention, because everything else in the tabernacle was gold overlaid on wood. You made it out of wood and then you overlaid gold on it. But this, <coughs> excuse me, was pure gold. And it was the only light in the tabernacle other than the glory of God. It was the only source of light in the tabernacle other than the glory of God. And only the high priest could tend it. Only the high priest could put the oil into these bowls at the top of these arms, of these branches. And only the high priest could put the wicks in or light it. So it was very special. It often gets overlooked, just a source of light, but that's not the deal. 
It was the solid gold lampstand of God. It was something that God established. And when you're reading through Exodus, I know how it is to read through Exodus, you know. You're reading along like, please, Jesus, can we get this tabernacle built? Because I have heard all about the ephahs of that and the gophers of this and the how many cubits of that. And I'm, Lord Jesus, could we just build the thing already? And yet God was being specific because he was setting up things not only for them to experience, but that would become symbols and revelation for us. So this is in the tabernacle. It's the only source of light. It's solid gold. And it's there for centuries. And that's all our, centuries ago, our Jewish ancestors in the faith would have known. And then we come down to when God turns this from just an object and a historical event to a symbol. And he does that. You don't have to go there with me. But he does it in Zechariah 4, verses 2 through 6. Okay? Zechariah is having a revelation. There's an angel leading him through it. The angel asks, what do you see? And Zechariah answers this, I see a solid gold lampstand. This is centuries after Moses first built the thing. I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. And then the angel said, so when he said to the angel, what are these, my Lord? I see them, but what are they? And the angel says, don't you know what these are? And Zechariah says, no, I don't know what these are. And here's the word. He says, this means not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Almighty. Now, you're already there because as New Testament Christians, you already think about oil and flame as being about the Holy Spirit. You already know about the day of Pentecost when tongues of flame came down on the early disciples. You already have that imagery. But this here in Zechariah 4 is the first time it's established in the Bible that this lampstand, these our Israeli ancestors, our Jewish ancestors, have been hauling around and setting up all in the wilderness and taking in the promised land and all that kind of thing. This is the first time in the Scripture by revelation, that lampstand is transformed from just a gold object in the holy place as opposed to the most holy place where God dwelt. And now it has, has meaning. What does it mean? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So now all that symbolism that you sort of know because you're a New Testament Christian comes to, comes to bear. This thing's about the spirit. This thing's about power. This thing's meant to say to you, no, 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 it's not by your power or by your gifts, but by the spirit of the living God. It's the spirit of the living God that's going to get this done. I hold that thought. I know you've heard that scripture before, but remember, we're moving from the object to the symbol to the revelation. Now, once an object is established in the Bible, you got to pay attention every time that it comes up. And now I'm going to meet you in Revelation 20. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus. He finally got there. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20. Here is where this comes into fulfillment. And it, and it comes to uh, our importance, the importance for us tonight. Because in Revelation chapter 1, you probably know if you've read Revelation. John, the apostle, has a vision of Jesus. 
And Revelation 1 says that Jesus, and of course you remember the beautiful description about how his voice is like many waters and, and he radiates and he's got a gold sash and it's magnificent and awesome and we're just transfixed by the image of Jesus. And then it says something that we often miss. It says he was walking amongst seven lampstands, seven of what was just on that wall, or I'm sorry, on that screen. Jesus, there's a revelation of Jesus, and then the Bible tells us he's walking among seven lampstands. And we all go, well, what, what's that there for? Why is Jesus walking among seven lampstands? What's that about? What's that symbolism? And this is when we start to get freaked out about the book of Revelation, that somebody was high when they wrote it. You know what I'm talking about. And we're all like, what is going on? You got all kinds of things happening. You got incense, you got angels, you got horses and plagues. And we just get, we get go crazy. And just Jesus, come back, come back soon. I won't have to read this book. It's kind of what we're thinking. But it's an important book, and Revelation 1 is especially important because Jesus, the risen Christ, is standing in the midst of seven lampstands. And we're all wondering what is going on. And then Revelation 1 and verse 20 tells us, and it's fraught with meaning even though it's only a few words. We're told in Revelation chapter 1, the same chapter, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, you got to understand what's going to happen in the next few chapters. Jesus is going to dictate through John letters to the seven churches of Asia. That's what's about to happen. Those, the, the lampstands of those seven churches are there where Jesus is standing. And we're told those lampstands are the seven churches. Let's put this together. We are used to thinking of the church in terms of the physical because we are physical beings. We think of the church in terms of, you know, buildings. We know better, but we still do. I'm going to the church, right? We think of it in terms of the people. We think of it in terms of the worship. We think of it in terms of the outreach. We think of it in terms of Grace Loves, what Corey is leading us in so well. We think of it in terms of what Brett does with the football team. Or, or you understand what I'm saying. In terms of, the, of almost the natural stuff. We know it's supernatural, but we tend to think of it as being, uh, we tend to think of it almost in natural terms. Because we're, we're people with eyeballs and we can see things and we can hear things and, and we can see what's going on. What I want to suggest to you is that Revelation chapter 1 is giving us one of the most important truths about a church he can possibly give us. And that is more important than anything else about a church is its lampstand, which stands for the deposit of anointing and power from the living God at its core. He didn't say these lampstands symbolize these churches. He didn't say these lampstands remind us of these churches. He said these lampstands are the seven churches. Because all churches that are serving Jesus at their core have a lampstand of God in their midst. I don't mean necessarily a physical thing. I mean what the whole physical thing was meant to tell us about spiritual reality. If this church is what we think it is, 
if it is alive, if it has the Spirit of God dwelling in it, if we have an anointing from God, if we are worshiping Jesus uh, in this place and moving in his power, there is in the Spirit, so to speak, a deposit of anointing and power that the Bible not only symbolizes, but that he actually says is the lampstand of the living God. And that's been here since the beginning. In fact, the Greek word you want to know for anointing is charisma. You know that word. It's a magazine after all. Come on. Charisma, which means a flow of grace and power for a desired result. Now, let's apply this to us because we don't have a lot of time tonight. Back in the dark ages when this church first began, and yes, I'm picking our Mark Hawk because he was the pastor in those days. And there was a young man named Brett Fuller who was running around. By the way, you've got to read his book, Brett's book, Dreaming in Black and White. It tells this story. Dreaming in Black and White. Get that book. It's Pastor Brett's latest book, and it's wonderful. In that time, as that church came together, whatever the natural circumstances, whatever the physical people, whatever the physical room, wherever they met, in a school, in the back of a restaurant, wherever they met, if Jesus was with them and there was a supernatural dynamic at all that defined what that church was, the lampstand of God was placed there. Do I mean a physical gold thing? No. I mean in the spirit, the Lord deposited power and anointing, a flow of grace and power for a desired result. And it might not have looked that way to you. You might have gone in and they might have put some churches together in the back of, I don't know, a Dairy Queen for all I know. And they're there leading worship and Mark's doing the best he can do. I mean, I've started a church in my life and I got to tell you, it is not for sissies. And so, but, but the issue, the issue is not primarily, uh, you know, exactly what the pastor looks like or exactly who's leading worship or exactly what's going on physically. There's really one question that defines whether there's a church worth dealing with, and that's whether the living God has deposited power and anointing in their midst. Because if that has happened, whatever else they have to deal with, whatever else they confront, they will have something worth building on. And so I read Pastor Brett, I, I should, I'm sorry, I should change it to Bishop. Uh, I'm so used to calling him Brett, forgive me. But I should, you should read Bishop's book because dreaming in black and white tells the story. And it tells the failures very honestly. Pastor Brett became the le senior leader. And at that time he was pastor, so I haven't sinned by calling him pastor. And, and he led and he says, I led for a year. And at the end of that year, guess what? I had less people than I did when I started it didn't go that well. But you know what was important? God has deposited his power and his anointing. He had put his power there. He had put the lampstand of the Lord in the midst of that people. And that's what you want to know. That's what you want to hover around. When you, if you've, you've searched for churches, you've visited churches, the main thing you want to know it's not, do they have the right donuts and coffee at the break? No. What you want to know is, is the presence of the living God amongst that people. Is there a deposit of grace and power to accomplish a destined purpose? 
And I'm not saying it doesn't matter who the pastor is because God will match the pastor to the gifts he's put in that church. And I'm not saying it doesn't matter who leads worship, but the most important thing before any of those things come along is has God chosen to put his supernatural lampstand in the midst of this people? That's what you want to know. And then a lot of the early history, hear me now, A lot of the early history of any church is about the leaders and the people together trying to figure out what is it God has empowered us to do. Because not all lampstands, like not all anointings, are for the exact same purposes, right? That's why churches are different. So yeah, every church has got to have an anointing to uh, preach the gospel, and every church has got to have an anointing to worship, and every church has got to have an anointing for evangelism, and every church has got to have grace from God, you know, to take care of the needy and pray for the sick. I mean, if they're going to really do the stuff of God, and all that's kind of common to any church that's really going to walk with God. But then there's unique stuff. Not every church is meant to start a ministry to the needy in vehicles going all over the city. Not every church is meant to focus exclusively and passionately and sacrificially on racial reconciliation. Not every church is meant to do all of that. So what's the unique definition? What are the contours? God, what have you empowered us to do? What is your presence here to accomplish? What is your anointing here to do? And so you start finding out. That's why churches, when they're first getting started, they start stuff that doesn't work, right? They build, their, uh, they build their, their, these things. They, they build their Ishmaels, as some people would say. They give birth to stuff that ain't supposed to be have gotten birth to. That was bad English, and I did it on purpose. I mean, they do, they, you, I started ministries. You can't believe the gloriously intentioned ministries that I started early when I was a pastor. And we went just, just down my tie onto the floor and just landed on the floor because it wasn't of God, Right? I made the stupid assumption that because we were gifted for these two things, we must be gifted for these nine or ten things, and it all failed. And then I realized God's given us his grace and his anointing for certain things. I should find out what those are. And you start finding, feeling along the contours. Where are the boundaries? Where are the walls? Where's the flow of grace and power? I mean, there's a lampstand of the Lord here, and yeah, we worship and we hear the word and we come together. But beyond that, what's the unique thing God has called us to do? In the same way that there's there's gifting in my life that, that, that isn't in your life, and there's gifting in your life that isn't in my life because we're unique, and the power of God empowers us all differently. And it's the same thing with churches. And so... The past at Grace Covenant Church has been defined by the passionate pursuit of the purposes for which God has given his anointing and his power. And the clearer the revelation became, the clearer the understanding became of who we are, why we're anointed, what we're uniquely meant to do, what we're meant to give, us, give ourselves to, that's also, hear me now, when success began to happen. But you don't have success in spiritual matters by seeking success. At that point, if that's what you do, you're just simply worshiping an idol. And Jonah 2.8 says that those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could have been theirs. 
I don't, I don't want to just pursue success. I want to know what I'm here for. I want to know what the Spirit of God is on me for. I want to know what that deposit of grace and power is for. And that's what our leaders have been hammering out and leading us in and trying to understand, trying to... That's why the fasting and the prayer and the time alone and the time and the Word, Lord, what are you doing? We want to always do what we see you doing, as Jesus said. This has been our past. This is what has brought us to this point. Understanding that there is a deposit from God symbolized by the lampstand that's become, in fact, an actual spiritual lampstand, a deposit of God's power. By the way, the, the word almond in Hebrew, which, which gives us the, the look of the lampstand and also the almond oil, that word, God's always doing this. He uses words that sound like other words. The word almond is almost exactly like the word awaken in the Bible, in Hebrew. So that every time a, a person who spoke Hebrew uh, centuries ago thought about the lampstand, he thought about, he or she thought about the idea of awakening. So this has been our past. This has been our history. This has been the passion of our leaders. This explains why the sacrificial giving and the prayer and the fasting and the devotion and the setup and the breakdown and the discipling and the broken relationships that are rebuilt. This is why we do what we do because we're following the cloud of God's glory as he leads us into the purposes that he set us to. And now maybe you understand why standing here at the beginning of this series, I, I want to leave it to smarter people than myself, like Mark Koch, to talk about the distinctives of this church from the perspective of their history. But if we're talking about what greater work is yet, still yet to be done, let me tell you what I desire. I desire that the Lord intensifies his lampstand in this place that the power and the anointing of God is intensified. And that can only happen if we know that that deposit is there, if we respect it, and if we seek the living God to find out why he gave it to us for every generation. And let me go ahead and just hit straight because I only got a few minutes. That's why I don't want our leaders necessarily looking at the coolest trends currently happening in the body of Christ and going and doing what's cool, Right? I, I, that's, that's fine. Let there be magazines. Let there be leadership magazines. Let there be seminars for leadership. I'm for all of it. I've even led some of them. What I'm trying to say, though, is when you just pattern yourself after someone else, you've just got secondhand goods. What you want to do is seek the fresh and the powerful and the anointed that God has uniquely given you. I once knew a young preacher who thought that Kenneth Copeland was the most awesome preacher in the history of the world. And rather than discover his own gifts, he acted like Kenneth Copeland. You guys know who Kenneth Copeland is a TV preacher. Well, fine, let Kenneth Copeland be Kenneth Copeland. This guy, though, not only looked like an idiot, because when you try to act like Kenneth Copeland, I'm telling you, I could probably suggest some better folks. I, I, mean, I like, I'm saying he's fine, but if you try to go all West Texas and talk through your nose, it's going to get weird. You follow what I'm saying? But this young man for decades missed what he was made for when he stopped that nonsense and started to discover who he was. He became unbelievably powerful in the purposes of God because you're only going to be powerful when you are anointed for what you are made for, not when you're copying everybody else. And so 
I want for our pastors, I want for our leaders, what I believe humbly God wants. He said, these churches are the lampstand of God. Everything else comes from that. Listen, I have no musical ability, and I wish I had the ability of any of these people, really. If I could play guitar like the guy who owns that guitar, I'd be in the parking lot of Kmart showing off, right? That's, that's how much, I, that's how unrighteously I would handle it, all right? I adore their worship ability. That is not at the heart what the church is. Don't hear me putting down worship. I'm a worshiper. I'm teaching the word right now. That is not at heart, at the core what the church is. You understand what I'm saying? That's a product. What we do in Grace Loves is a product. What we do in racial reconciliation is a product. The way we minister healing to marriages is a product. I could go on by the hour listing everything. It's a product of what? The core deposit of grace and power that was put here almost like it was dropped in the middle of this room. And everything we do radiates from that. We miss what God destined it for. We miss why God drew us here. We miss the meaning of the lampstand. I'm going to be hanging around these young leaders until they lay me in the grave. And I'm going to look at them and I'm going to say the meaning of the lampstand. The meaning of the lampstand. If I do my job, tell us we'll have a cross hanging out of this here, which he's got right now, and a lampstand hanging out of the other. I'm just saying. Because I'm healthy, baby, and I'm not going away. And let me just make a personal application before I quit. It's exactly the same way with you. There's an anointing for your life like there's an anointing and a deposit of power for this church. Find out why it's there. Sure, you got to grow. Sure, you got to go to church. Sure, you got to read the word. We know the basics. But in terms of the unique thing for which you are taking hold of Jesus... Remember what Paul said, I want to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. He's taken hold of you to be conformed to the image of Jesus. He's taken hold of you to you know, other purposes. But when it comes down to the thing that distinguishes you from me in terms of what you're called to do, you from Tellus, you from AJ, you from Mark, you understand what I mean. What's the unique thing? What's the unique thing? Find it. Don't copy it off of somebody else. Don't get it from a book, although books can help. God knows I've written to some of them, and you ought to read all of them before you go to heaven. But my point is, don't, don't go copy somebody else's gift in grace. Find yours in the grace of God and be discipled for it here in this church. Now, I want to close with a thought, and it's a dark thought, and I don't, I don't want you to think that I'm ending on a dark purpose because I'm trying to rebuke anybody or, or be heavy. This is what I've just said in the, just a few minutes is so important, not because I've said it, but because this is at the heart of what a church is. If we're going to celebrate what God's done in this church in the last 40 years, let's have the heart of it. Let's, let's get a grasp tonight on what's at the core of it. But listen to me. The lampstand can be taken away. That's what the Bible says. Let me read it to you. Revelation 2 and verse 5. God is dictating a letter, basically, to the church at Ephesus. He says, you guys have done good stuff. I just have one thing against you. What was it? I don't know. We'll come back to it. But listen to, listen to what he says before he even says that. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, 
I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. I will remove your lampstand from its place. And what did they do? They, they, they forgot and had forsaken their first love. Now, am I being heavy here in the last minute because I, I'm, I'm desperately afraid we're going to lose our lampstand? No. But there are two ways to go. You seek God and you fast and you pray and you serve and you find out why God's put his unique power uniquely here with this unique people and you walk that out in obedience. And I believe, although that it doesn't specifically say this in Scripture, I believe the anointing increases, the power increases, the lampstand, lampstand gets larger and more powerful. Or you abandon Jesus and your first love, you forget about your destiny, you get busy with stuff, which is what the church of Ephesus had done, and Jesus specifically says, I'll take that lampstand away. And I mean no criticism of my brothers and sisters in Christ when I tell you I've been in churches where I'm fairly sure there was no lampstand. I, I, I'm not God, I can't judge for sure. No sense of grace, no sense of God's presence, just you know, maybe a lot of strife and bitterness. I mean, maybe you've been in church. I'm, I'm not trying to stand critically. Please, Jesus, let's not go that direction. Invisibly amongst this people is a deposit of power and grace to, desire, to fulfill a destined purpose. And Jesus himself says, that is the church. That is the thing that makes the church. We plant congregations, I'm grateful for it. I'm down there at Capitol Hill hammering out four blocks from uh, the nation's capital. I love Stephen Law, our pastor. I love our building. Don't you come take it from us. I love our ushers. I love everything about it. But the most important thing to us as the people of God ought to be, and I've cried out to God that he'll do it, put your lampstand here. Because we can plant churches all day, but if the lampstand of the Lord is not amongst that people, ain't nothing happening worth doing. That's where signs and wonders come from. That's where transformed lives come from. That's where we'll have the grace and power to break those massive strongholds that are dominating that whole area that we're in down there on Capitol Hill. This nation needs to see the power of God. They don't need just our normal religious retreads. They need to see the power of God. And the only way that's going to happen is if a people have the knowledge that there's a lampstand of God among them, and they're willing to lay their lives down to see the purpose for which God gave it fulfilled. Everybody said, amen. I love you.